You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iwoo. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Two common temptations lure us away from abundant living, either withdrawing into safety or grasping for power. True flourishing, on the other hand, travels down an unexpected path, being both strong and weak. Regardless of your stage or role in life, this is a book of love and risk that if you read, I think you'll be encouraged to venture into this flourishing quadrant, embracing strength and vulnerability at the same time. Our guest today is Andy Crouch, and I've read just a little bit from the back cover of his book, Strong and Weak, published by InterVarsity Press, a book that tries to encourage those with power to express power well, but not in a way that exploits others, but that also risks power and invests others others with power to see true flourishing, both in their life and in the life of those they lead. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's great to get to talk. Now, I was just sharing with Andy, I think the first book of his that I read was a book called Culture Making, and he's released a number number of fantastic books since then that I encourage you to check out. But today we're talking about the book Strong and Weak, this idea of flourishing when people hold together both authority and vulnerability. Andy, can you give our readers just a sense of what does it mean to hold together authority and vulnerability at the same time? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, these are things we often think of as opposites or as uh, somehow opposed to each other. Like either you have authority or you're vulnerable. And uh, what I'm trying to do in the book is actually put them together and say there's a way to have both at the same time. And and uh, the way you do that is by thinking of authority as capacity for meaningful action. That's my definition of authority. When I have authority, I um, I can act and it's going to matter. It's going to make a difference. It's going to, uh, be meaningful at kind of in all the senses of that word. Um, and if you think of vulnerability as exposure to meaningful risk, uh, which I think is the core of vulnerability, something you care about very much is at stake and could be lost. It is actually possible to have something really at stake and thus be vulnerable, uh, be at risk of, of losing it and have authority. That is the capacity to act. And often when we use these words, we think of one without the other, but it, it started to occur to me, um, and I'm interested in how this kind of struck you, uh, but it started to occur to me that most of the richest, most flourishing, most meaningful experiences of my life actually had both at the same time. I had some amount of authority, but I also had real risk at stake, and I felt often quite vulnerable in the midst of that. I would actually say writing books is like this for me. I mean, it, you know, to be an author, right, is to have authority, author authority. But to write a book, any book, is an incredibly vulnerable experience, at least for me. I'm constantly second-guessing myself. It's then vulnerable at a whole new level when it goes out and people read it. And yet these two things go together. And actually all real creativity, I think, requires both of these. And maybe all leadership does too. So I don't know. I, I'm guessing that struck a chord with you or we would not be having this conversation. But how did it connect with your own life and leadership? Well, actually, I thought the exact opposite. No, I'm just I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to set me straight. <laughs> yeah. You know, welcome to the podcast. No, uh, it, really, it really resonated with me, especially I started to think about it in terms of mentoring. And we can mentor yes. in, in various ways. 
and and we can even access mentors who maybe have, have died before we've had a chance to meet them. And so their their vulnerability right. toward us is different. But um, they might still have a kind of vulnerability in sharing what they've written, as you said. But I was thinking about in terms of mentors, of people who have really taken me under their wing and opened themselves up to me. And I even thought about the the image of taking somebody under their wing and how that, that exposes them, right? There's there's a vulnerability wow. that comes because you're you're weak on your side, yes. right? You can't protect yourself. Wow. And and those mentors wow. who have done that to me have invested time, which they could have invested elsewhere, or maybe they've shared part of their own their own journey, right? What it took for them to learn or the situations in which they were, in which they learned, and they didn't know what what I was going to do with that information, right? I, I could yeah. I could be neutral with it and just or be bored, or I could even take it to my own advantage in some kind of sinister way. But that's what was coming to mind for me that if somebody was going to have have authority to give me a capacity to act, right? To give me authority is that that could only truly and most meaningfully be done if they were open to me. Um, being able to open to a risk of me, what would I do with what they were sharing with me? Would I use it, not use it? Would I use it in a sinister way? Yeah. You know, there, there is both that authority and that vulnerability. Oh, in taking That's me so good. It actually reminds me of maybe in some ways the first time I really understood how vulnerable leadership can be, the best kind of leadership. And it involved one, I mean, one of my very first real mentors was a, a United Methodist pastor uh, in the church that I went to in high school, though I, I got to know him just as I was leaving high school. And I would come back in the summers for a young adults kind of group that he helped to lead. And I remember we went on a kind of retreat with this group of maybe maybe 10 young adults. It was a small group. Um, and he really wanted to show us a movie that was very significant to him. And I've come to think of it as quite an extraordinary film. I think it's one of the great, great films about kind of community and in many ways about the gospel uh, called Places in the Heart. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie. Um, and uh, to be honest, I can't remember. It's embarrassing. I can't remember like who stars in it. It's someone, it's a famous uh, woman uh, actor. She does a brilliant job in the movie. I could Google it while we talk so that I don't have the vulnerability of admitting I don't know who it is. But anyway, uh, it's it's a truly stunning movie, but it's very subtle. And we were watching it kind of late on a Saturday night at this retreat house, and we were all sort of in a jovial mood. And it's it's not a jovial kind of movie. It's a challenging movie, and it, it involves themes of race and themes of uh, exploitation, and it's really quite something. But we were just not prepared for it, and kind of through the whole movie, we were cracking jokes about it and just making light of it. And I think this might have been Dave's like deepest, most favorite film <laughs> And I remember at the end, we just were so incapable of engaging it in the way he wanted us to, that he just got very upset and had to walk out into the winter. It was actually a winter retreat out into the winter night um, and just take a walk because he was so emotionally upset that we had, had just scorned this beautiful thing he was giving us. And it was like this realization, oh, I've thought of this person just as authority in my life, someone who, you know, some from some unseen resource, you know, offers me things I need, but it had never occurred to me as deeply as it did at that moment, how emotionally open he was to us and how willing he was to risk with us and what it cost him when we wouldn't uh, kind of reciprocate or, or receive what he was giving us. So it's, this is what goes along with good leadership is a kind of willingness to be 
hurt. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it only gets harder the longer you go and the deeper you go. It, it, it's uh, in the, in the book, you know, I, I draw it as a kind of a chart with authority and vulnerability on axes. And I think of our calling in life as to move up and to the right, that is higher and higher in authority, but also at the same time, higher and higher in meaningful risk and vulnerability. And um, that's what the life of a leader is about. I'm thinking about some of our listeners, many of whom would be uh, pastors or in some kind of spiritual leadership, and I think they can identify with what it means to uh, exert leadership through preaching or through uh, coaching and efforts at discipleship, discipleship, and seeing those efforts scorned as people say, oh, that, you know, that didn't connect with me or heaven oh, forbid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, 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 need, I, I went somewhere else to be fed or, or some, yes. other, some other line that, that is sometimes given. And I think very much preaching can be that act of vulnerability. Um, oh, I had a, totally. a, a hero of mine say how difficult to, to preach your, your guts out and, and to have no response. I mean, no, no, just oh a blank stare. And, and at times that's yes. a, at times that happens. And, uh, you know, cause people are in various stages of life. Maybe they're not capable of, of seeing your vulnerability in that moment. And as a result, they, they scorn it just out of, you know, for, with, with, because they have no capacity for empathy or, or understanding at that moment, maybe there's crisis in their life or whatever else. But then yeah. there's also times when yeah. you see that kind of blank face or that, or that scorn that you're talking about that, that comes simply because people are not interested or, or are not, yeah. uh, have grown even, even perhaps, um, come to not appreciate your authority and, and just say, Oh, this person can be dismissed, right? They're, they're a, a person whose authority really doesn't have any kind of meaning for, for my right. life. Exactly. And as you know, uh, in the, so the first half of, of this book, strong and weak is just about these two things and the different ways they can be combined or not combined. Uh, but in the second half of the book, I really get to part of what you're talking about here, which is um, what I call hidden vulnerability. And I think one of the really defining dramas of leadership is that the people we lead um, often do not see the risk that, that we're taking. And, and it's, you know, as you say, it can be for um, understandable reasons. Uh, everyone's going through a lot, <laughs> and uh, and we sure uh, we don't need to expect everyone to just constantly attend to our own needs. In fact, that would be kind of uh, the opposite of good leadership. But there is this drama of what do I do with this internal reality of all the risks I'm aware of and how much I'm putting myself out there without other people ever realizing it. And they, they'll see my authority uh, if I have a, like a title as pastor or preacher or author or whatever, but they may not be able to even see or imagine as, as I couldn't until that moment when Dave like walked out of the room um, I just couldn't imagine his vulnerability. And, and it, it actually was, almost essential to his leadership that he have some way of holding on to that in a healthy way. But that is so hard to hold in a healthy way. You tell a, a great, very brief story that gets at this idea of hidden vulnerability. And I'll just share it with our, our listeners quickly. Uh, you write about Dave, the founder and CEO of a technology startup company in San Diego. And he's, he writes this, uh, I've learned that there is only one answer to the question. Hey, how's your business going? He told you recently. He said, the answer is one word. Great. 
Then if they ask the follow-up question, you're allowed to have one more sentence, and that sentence has to be about how great it is, the latest product breakthrough, <laughs> your, your last big hire. Then you have to stop. You go on. To say any more could affect how customers, investors, suppliers, or employees see the company. If they perceive it to be seriously vulnerable, there could be unattended cascading decline of orders, investments, and confidence. I, I thought that was so great uh, because leaders always have to have this for for many, they have to have this persona. They have to have this idea that things are mm -hmm. moving forward. There is momentum, mm -hmm. e even if yes. they can feel a free fall on the horizon. <laughs> they, yes. they only hurry the free fall if they admit it, right, to, to public. Now, of course, uh. there might be a a select few that they're truly vulnerable with, and and are take take the mask off with, and and say, boy, here's. Here's how we really are, and and sure, surely a, a complex or, mi or mixture often of, of good and bad, but uh, that that story of hidden vulnerability from a context that I'm, I'm not very familiar with, but it made total sense yeah. to me that you yeah. one word, yeah, yeah. It, it's great, right? It's it's great. And, <laughs> and this is how great it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's this phrase, right? Uh, a confidence game, and uh, that's used. I don't know if it's used as often as it used to be, but you know, a con game is uh, a way of you know deceiving and and defrauding someone uh, by gaining their confidence. But there's a way in which all leadership is a kind of confidence game, and and I think this is a very fundamental challenge to those of us who end up in positions of leadership, uh, which is how do you do that in a way that is fundamentally honest rather than fundamentally dishonest, and. It's not so simple as, well, just tell people everything that's going right and everything that's going wrong, like just lay it all out. Because in fact, there are countless reasons why leaders often can't disclose many of the most important vulnerabilities and, and need to emphasize the hope and direction that they believe their community can go in. But man, it's hard to do that in a way that is fundamentally honest and that doesn't shade over into a kind of con game where you realize I'm just trying to keep up appearances here and it's not really true. And I think in some ways, Christian leadership is this kind of, cons it's a constant, on the one hand, death to self, so that I'm not projecting that confidence out of some need to um, maintain my own image or identity. And this constant, as I die to myself, being plunged back into the resurrection of Jesus, who after all, I mean, experienced the very worst, I think, arguably, that can happen to uh, to humanity, and in Christ, we all experience like the worst case scenario, which is the crucifixion of the Son of God. And on the other side of that is the resurrection of the Son of God. And so as I am constantly dying to my own need to sort of preserve my identity and um, sense of efficacy, I'm being refilled with the reality of the resurrection, which gives me a kind of confidence um, that is not available any other way and that is reliable as, as much as it's not, uh, it's not like a little slot machine that lets me get what I want every time, but it gives me grounds to actually be honestly hopeful, <laughs> um, in whatever system I'm in. But, uh, but it, without that kind of daily, weekly, you know, sort of regular process of, uh, death to my own need, uh, for, significance and security and, and reemerging with the confidence of Christ, I think I'm in trouble, uh, as a leader, either I'm going to just 
I'm not going to do any good because I'm not going to be confident or else I'm going to be so false in my confidence that I really mislead people and create systems that are misleading. And, and uh, that's a very dangerous place to be in for leader and people, as it were. Uh, yeah, it was one of the notes I wrote in the, in the back of the book. I, I wrote, could the idea that leaders know what invulnerability to display become hubris, become pride at its root and lead to abuses? Yes. Um, yes. We, we, we've all been in, in situations of leadership where I shouldn't say we all have been. I expect that many of our listeners can. Uh, I think we all have that. <laughs> you know, with, with the leader who has said to us or when we've said to another one, you just don't know what I know. And there's sometimes that 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 rings true. And there's other times that I'm like, ah, that feels like that could be covering something up that 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 wow, I don't know, what you know, but I think more people should know what you know, and and it might be safer (laughs) if you did. (laughs) And and this is why I think uh, all people in power need accountability. Um, You know, one of the problems. in writing about this is, is I, the word vulnerability is often used in our cultural context for sort of emotional openness. And that's not really the main thing I'm talking about because it's possible to be very self-protective, very exploitative, and really, uh, I think more specifically, very manipulative by using emotional openness. And people will say, Oh, he was so vulnerable. He cried when he talked about his three-year-old daughter or whatever. And you can be covering up all kinds of things with emotional openness. So when I say vulnerability, I mean, meaningful risk. And sometimes being emotionally open is not a meaningful risk, but what is a meaningful risk? What is vulnerable for people in power is accountability, which means someone knows, uh, everything there is to know. And it, it's not wrong sometimes for, for us to say when we're in positions of leadership to some people, or I don't know, I, I, it's not always the best thing to say this way, but it, it can be the case that there are things that other people can't know fully that we do know. Um, you know, sometimes it's because of personnel, uh, confidentiality issues. There's a whole host of reasons that leaders have to hold certain things uh, very close. But if you don't have an authorized group of people to whom you are accountable for everything you know, so in a a nonprofit or for-profit organization, this is the board of directors, or it's, it's literally the accountant, right? The person who keeps the books independently of the CEO, you know, and knows independently the true financial state of an organization. If there's not those layers of accountability, which ultimately are embedded in kind of even legal structures of accountability, then we are all really in trouble. Um, And I think that the other side of that, uh, for those of us who especially are stewards of kind of gospel ministry, is there are all these things in my life that, that I can't easily disclose to everyone I'm in leadership of. But if no one knows the truth of my life, like all the way down to the bottom, like to bedrock bottom truth... I'm really in trouble. And so I think accountability is what makes us safe with that, um, that hidden knowledge. Uh, and if, if someone says to you, there's things you just, I can't tell you, but they can't tell them to anyone else. And there's no one to whom they're accountable. You should keep your hand on your wallet and run away as fast as you can because they're being manipulative. <laughs> I'd like to, to change, uh, directions here just for, uh, uh, maybe for the last few minutes that we have left. Because yeah. another fascinating section on simulated authority, uh, you write this, mm-hmm. the real temptation for most of us is not complete apathy, but activities that simulate meaningful action and meaningful risk. I'll say that again, that simulate meaningful action <laughs> and meaningful risk 
without actually asking much of us or transforming much in us. And it, it yes. might not surprise some listeners that the example that you go on to give is one of the examples is video games, right? Video games <laughs> can confer authority or uh, as do most screen based forms of recreation, they confer authority more quickly and more completely than any real world game does. And, I, you know, we're, we're kind of in the midst of NFL football season. It's coming to mind my own expertise <laughs> in, in critiquing my my team and the choices they made comes because of the very real authority that I developed playing Tecmo Super Bowl football on Nintendo and clearly know what they should have done, right? My, my enjoyment of the game is because I have this false sense of authority that I would I would do something differently if I was in, in their shoes. Uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more. How do how do you how do you see us? Maybe another example, or how do you see us living out this sense of simulated authority? Well, I don't think it started with video games, and in a way, I think all games are a way of practicing for real life, and that's not necessarily bad, especially for kids, right? Um, I, I think part of what children do is they they play at the things that ultimately they're going to be called to do as as adults. Uh, but I do think video games are, I have to say, I think they're especially dangerous um, because of how effectively and immersively they give you this sensation that you're really living. Like, and in some, in some ways, like uh, they, they can actually make you feel more alive than your real life does, I think. And I think that's why people play them, actually. Um, but it's a simulation and it's not actually developing anything in you. And the truth is for all those, um, hours or days or months of your life spent in front of the screen playing that video game, actually, if you were put in a real football situation, even just as a manager or coach, you, you'd, I, I don't know how to break it to you, Aaron. You're really not ready for that role. Like <laughs> no matter how much, <laughs> Um, let alone like actually being out of the field. Right. Um, and, and so it's, it gives us this incredible sensation. I'm really living, I'm learning about football here, you know, whatever. Uh, but you're, you're not, uh, and, and it's true. You know, there are certain very, very technical things like, uh, so I will confess I, for a while had a lot of fun with a pretty elaborate, a flight simulator set up in my basement. Like, so I had the like yoke and the pedals and all this stuff that you use to like simulate flying a plane. It, now flying a plane is a pretty limited technical kind of activity. And, and a flight simulator really can give you a leg up in flying real planes because flying real planes is, is so like mechanical and in a way engineering constrained. But the more you get into like real world callings, even just sports, like real sports, the less the, the video version prepares you. And then you get to real life, as it were, not even just a game like football, but like the, the game of life, the real calling of life. And then these, these things that seem so engaging and, and um, uh, exciting for us actually undercut our ability, I think to show up in real life with all its complexity, all its perplexity and, and act with real authority and vulnerability there. And I'm really concerned that we have such good simulations. And by the way, uh, I don't play a lot of video games, but I spend more time than I should probably looking at Twitter. And I think Twitter is simulated conversation. Uh, and it gives you a kind of sense of authority. Like I can throw something out there and people respond. Um, but is it, 
is it the real thing? Is it really developing in me the things that I want developed? And I have to honestly say, if I don't limit it and in various ways, you know, minimize its impact or influence on my life, these simulations uh, that we now have access to are, are really bad for the soul, the body, the heart, the person as a whole. Joining us today has been Andy Crouch, uh, author of uh, several books, including Culture Making, most recently a book called The TechWise Family. We've been talking today about strong and weak, embracing a life of love, risk, and true flourishing. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. A pleasure, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, it's been a, it's been a joy to laugh, and and one of the things that you put in the book to wrap it up is, <laughs> is how laughter, real laughter, can be a sense of vulnerability, and uh, and expressing ourselves, and this real combination of of authority and vulnerability coming out as as we are able to experience joy in uh, in the presence of another as we laugh together about whatever observation or story. And I really appreciate just having a chance to laugh alongside you, and hopefully inspire some laughs for our listeners as well. Oh, I hope so. So fun. Thank you, Aaron. And we hope that you've had a, a good time and enjoyed this podcast as well, listeners, and that you'll take the opportunity to connect with us further at Wesley Seminary online, on Facebook, and on Twitter, although not for too long or for too long, <laughs> uh, as Andy has reminded us. But thanks so much for tuning in today and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.